Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Boyd Davis about organizational DEI efforts and ensuring pay equity. Boyd Davis, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Good to be here. Yeah, it is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Texas. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about organizational DEI efforts and ensuring pay equity. And as a part of that, we're going to be talking about pay transparency. Uh, as we were discussing in the pre-interview, that's actually a real pet peeve of mine is when organizations shroud pay in, in like this cloak of mystery and like try to assert policies saying people aren't allowed to talk about pay and, and things like that. We can dissect all of that and talk about sure. why that's a problem, but that certainly leads to inequity in the workplace. And it's, it's a simple thing that we can try to do that will immediately make an impact in terms of equity, equality, and our DEI efforts. So we're going to uh, be exploring all of those things together today. As we get started, I wanted to share Boyd's bio with everybody. Boyd is a 30-year veteran of the technology industry, having held executive positions at companies as large as Accenture and Intel, and startups that you've likely never heard of. He is passionate about the opportunity to transform the compensation process, ultimately leveraging data to deliver personalized and equitable compensation to every employee. And all I can say is amen. I applaud you for your efforts. This is so, so important. Uh, anything else that you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in further? Well, sure. I, you know, I've only been in the uh, HR technology industry for a couple of years now, but I, I came to it with, uh, you know, participating in HR on the management side at every level from being an individual contributor to a first level manager, to managing managers, to managing large multifunctional organizations. So I always like to think I bring to the, to the HR uh, technology industry, more of a business perspective. Um, and I've, I've turned out to be more and more passionate about the, the arcane technical details of things like compensation as, as I've participated to figure out how to make that happen. Yeah, thank you for that. And I, I like the business perspective. And, and ultimately, I would argue that's what all HR should be uh, in this day and age. I, I think we're, we're far past um, the place where people could kind of be siloed in their little HR bubble and say, you know, I, I do my HR things. You have to be able to speak the language of business. You have to be able to speak the strategy of the business. You need to be able to 
to uh, strengthen and reinforce the, the core value proposition of the business and help the business bring value to the market. Of course, HR helps to do that through maximizing and leveraging the capacity of the people within the organization. And, but we need to be able to be business partners and speak the language of business. So I think that's great that you bring that to the conversation. And it's just a reminder to anyone listening who, ha- who may happen to be in an HR function that, uh, that it's not enough to have HR expertise, but you have to have that cross-functional um, cr- interdisciplinary kind of an approach as you go about your work, if you want to be impactful and, and effective uh, and there's just so many things, so many very, very important things that we're trying to accomplish in the world of people management that uh, we're, we're, we're go- we could very quickly short circuit our own good intentions and efforts if we're not you know, speaking that language of business. So I think that's fantastic. Now, as we get started, uh, I thought maybe we could just define some things really quickly. Uh, so as I framed out the episode, of course, I talked uh, about... Uh, organizational DEI efforts. I've talked about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging efforts in organizations on this podcast many times before. We've dissected it and talked about it in, in terms of a variety of different areas of a business and, and the policies, practices, procedures that can aid to you know really great uh, organizational culture and environment. Uh, one that I'm not sure we've talked extensively about yet is exactly what we're going to be exploring today. And that is around the pay equity piece and connecting it to, to the practices of the organization around pay transparency. So why don't you tell us a little bit more, you know, your background in the compensation space and like, as you say, the arcane technicalities of, of, of pay systems and those sorts of things. Um, explain that to us a little bit in terms of why ensuring pay equity is important and, and then what pay transparency is and why that is an essential component to having pay equity. Well, you know, as as a compensation professional, you know, we I, I view equity as as you know being quite broad, right? If if you think about equity, it, you know, we you, it's on a lot of different layers, and uh, one of the immediate layers is people within an immediate team. You know, do they feel like they're being paid fairly relative to their teammates? Are they being par- paid uh, equitably for people that do a similar function, maybe in other parts of the organization? Uh, are they being paid equitably with people who are doing a similar function outside of their organization in the market? And then, of course, you have what I think most people go to when they think about pay equity in terms of equity among uh, groups that may have been marginalized or underrepresented, whether it be uh, gender or, or race or ethnicity. And, uh, and I think when you look at it from a, a pay structure perspective, you have to look at it at, at that angle. Uh, and transparency comes into it that I, I am still surprised and disappointed and shocked at times. I talked to, you know, hundreds of HR professionals at, you know, dozens and dozens of companies. And there still is this underlying kind of close to the vest, uh, you know, being very, very uh, opaque uh, about how pay decisions are made. Uh, and it engenders a, a sense of distrust. Uh, you know, it is, is interesting that uh, uh, a survey by Gartner said that 85% of people think that they're not paid fairly. Uh, and then a separate survey, different methodology, but by salary.com said that 73% of organizations say they work hard to pay, uh, to pay based on, on data. Um, so that gap of expectations 
creates problems for all employees. And then yeah. it, if you're in a marginalized group, it, it gets worse. Well, right. And in those two data points that you just shared, certainly there's that gap between the employee side perceptions and then the employer side perceptions. But also, is it really possible for 85% of employees to not be paid fairly? I guess, theoretically, it's possible. But when we're talking about trying to, you know, if you think about the bell curve of like pay throughout the organization, there's going to be more than 15% of the people in the organization that are being paid above average, right? Uh, And and so, so clearly, you know, organizations are putting a lot of effort into this. Uh, It's not always, it doesn't meet the end of the row, though, in terms of how it's communicated, how it's perceived. And so many people walk around feeling cheated by their organizations. And when you feel like you're not being paid equitably, whether it's internal equity, external equity, whatever, when you feel taken advantage of, whether it's true or not, if you feel taken advantage of, that will impact the way you interface with your team and how you do your work. And there's equity theory in organizational behavior. It's a very simple concept that basically you're going to balance the scales. And if you feel like you're being treated unfairly, most people, they'll either leave or they'll mentally check out of their current job while they're looking for their next opportunity. And they'll simply balance the scales and put it forward less effort um, you know, to, to, to meet and, and match the pay that they feel like they're getting in terms of that equity. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's a huge problem for organizations. Like clearly they're not communicating things well if, if 70 plus percent say that it's a, it's a really strong priority and they want to make sure they're doing it it's not getting there yet. And so part of it is being more transparent and clear in the systems and the processes, but it's also just about how you communicate it. And so if you are doing things to move the needle and make things more equitable, man, you better be also investing time and energy into the communication strategy so that your people understand what the strategy is and what all of those um, different components that go into decision-making are and how they stack up with everyone else so that you take the mystery away and you just take away that, that opportunity for people to be upset about something uh, that ultimately may or may not actually be a problem. Well, and, and I, I think the key is first level managers, right? We all know that all of the data says that people don't leave jobs uh, because they're not paid enough or for all the, you know, they don't get enough perks or whatever. Most people, when they're unhappy with their job, they're unhappy with their relationship with their first level manager, right? That's the, the plurality of, of the challenge. And, and yet I look at, a, a, you know, still not a majority of organizations that I speak with give their first level managers the agency and visibility to the data so that when they're making a pay recommendation or a pay decision, you know, they don't really have visibility to the market data, to the internal equity data, uh, to the, the factors that lead to, you know, performance at a, at a really holistic level. And therefore you have, you know, employees out there who are being communicated to almost always the manager might give the performance evaluation and communicate the salary change and the manager doesn't necessarily feel or feel it or believe it. So I think the communication element is huge because most organizations I talk to do a pretty good job. They know what their philosophy is for where they want to price relative to the market. They're sourcing survey data, they're they're doing the hard work. I mean, comp professionals are really, really, you know, hardworking, passionate people. And, and the gap ends up being, uh, 
how do you make sure that the managers know? And I often have a conversation with our prospects uh, that are evaluating our software, which helps to achieve some of these goals. And I say, hey, what you want the manager conversation to be is I want to pay you more. Uh, you're being paid fairly now, but let me develop, help you develop skills, make bigger contributions. Everybody in the organizations wants to pay you more money. Uh, and let me give you a roadmap to get there. And uh, a lot of the more experienced compensation professionals I talk to kind of roll their eyes and think of that as a bit of a nirvana because it's, we're mm. so far away from that. Um, and I think people need to think about the processes and tools and policies to, to help get, get us closer to that end state um, and, and help more, particularly those frontline first level managers understand, you know, how we make these compensation decisions and how to communicate them in a way that's motivating. Uh, I think too few organizations view their compensation strategy as a key part of that manager-employee engagement model, right? They have all these engagement efforts, and then they have this kind of spreadsheet-driven, uh, formulaic-driven, you know, black box process to pay people. And I, I, I think those two things are incompatible. Yeah. And, and part of the reason for that, I think, is it is the research around pay and its connection to engagement, performance, satisfaction has been weaponized in many organizations. Now, we, we it, the, the research is pretty clear. It, it, in the academic research, uh, pay is what's known as a satisficer. So it's not a great ongoing motivator for people. It's not a great uh, trigger for engagement and satisfaction. Um, but you have to pay people enough that you're paying them fairly and equitably so that you kind of take pay off the table and they're not thinking about pay anymore and they can just focus on the job. Um, so it's not a great motivator, but it's one of the best demotivators. And if you're not paying people, if people feel like they're not being paid fairly, if there's inequity, even if it's just a perception, uh, if that's the case, then they're going to be less engaged. They're going to be less satisfied. They're going to be less motivated and their productivity is going to go down. And so pay is a funny, plays a, a funny role in motivation. And I've seen it many times in organizations where leaders will point to that research and they'll say, pay doesn't really matter. You know, and so because pay doesn't really matter, that's not going to be a key component of our philosophy or our strategy towards engagement. And that's they're they're only getting half the picture. Like, yes, pay isn't the number one thing that's going to motivate most people long term once you hit that baseline of equity, but it's one of the most important things in terms of disengaging and demotivating people if it's not done well. And so it has to be a core component and we can't just punt it and we can't just say, well, the research has pay isn't so important, so I'm not going to worry about it. That's, that's definitely the wrong approach. And I think that plays out in, in what you're, all these conversations you're having with clients in your organization. Check out my new book, The Future Leader, Creating and Transforming Next-Gen Organizations. Stemming from two decades of professional experience and over 600 in-depth interviews with executives, thought leaders, and scholars from across the globe, The Future Leader will help you explore the ordinary, everyday actions that will help you to prepare to lead in the future of work, to respond to an uncertain future, and to produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy 
courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organizations. Check out the HCI Academy and our many course offerings and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. Something else I wanted to, to just double click on is a few minutes ago, you mentioned, of course, there, there's the internal equity, the external equity, and there's the, the uh, marginalized communities and populations equity piece, the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion piece. And, and that isn't something I want to gloss over. Um, it's not the core uh, point of discussion for today, but it is a very important point that we need to recognize and always remember that there are groups of individuals in this country and in many organizations where they are paid systemically differently for no other reason than their gender, the color of their skin, uh, or a variety of different factors. And whether it's an overt racism at, or sexism at play or an overt, overt bigotry at play within that organization, I would like to think that's not the case, but there are systems in place that, that in many organizations that perpetuate inequities around a whole variety of factors within the organization and pay is one of them. And so transparency around this whole process is one of the easiest things that you can do. You just shine a light on it and you make sure that everyone understands what's happening, how it's happening, why it's happening this way, and that people can have direct comparison points. And, and it goes away. Like so much of the problem around pay equity can quickly go away just when you uh, create those transparent systems and processes and, and simple things like, like in the higher, in the recruitment process, putting a pay range on the job posting that's going out to recruits. Um, in this day and age, I, 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 it, it blows my mind that most organizations still aren't doing that. And they don't do that because they want to be able to negotiate salary with people who are incoming. And I understand that. The problem is we understand there's plenty of research that shows that there are certain groups of individuals who negotiate more, more uh, aggressively and those that, that, rec that, uh, that negotiate less aggressively. And what ends up happening is you inevitably, when you're not posting an actual range and trying to be very transparent and upfront with people from out of the gate, what the pay is going to be for a position, you're almost ensuring that there's going to be gender inequities in pay, for example, or, or uh, racial inequities in pay. It's almost guaranteed. And, and so you just got to be transparent about what the actual pay for the position is. Don't make people guess. Don't make people play the games. Just be transparent and it will pay dividends in terms of the diversity, equity, and inclusion component. You'll have better internal 
equity throughout your team. So you won't end up finding yourself with these huge gaps between what one person negotiated versus what another person was willing to t- get hired for way less doing the exact same thing. That's a huge, huge problem. We, and, and it's no wonder organizations don't want to be transparent when that's happening, because clearly they open themselves up to all sorts of litigation and other headaches and uh, problems with their people if that becomes known. And so let's, let's just get rid of all that. Let's, let's make it all clear. Let's make sure that everyone understands how it's happening, why it's happening that way, and that everyone knows uh, that they are being paid fairly. And then they don't have to guess about it. I think it's, you know, I think organizations that are waiting for, uh, you know, for policy or legislation around this are, are aiming way too far behind the, the right target, right? People should be doing this because it's the best way to, uh, uh, to you know, acquire and retain the best talent. Um, you know, I think a lot of organizations, this isn't uh, any, any kind of uh, conspiracy or anything, right? A lot of organizations don't even have formalized pay ranges, the ones that do are often not as confident in them. And particularly in the current environment, uh, you, you know, we all know that cost of labor does not track precisely the cost of living. That's one of the biggest challenges that compensation people are facing right now is people are saying, I got a 3% raise, but inflation was 7%. You just gave me a pay cut. Uh, and, you know, like all parts of the economy, labor is not not tracking exactly to the to the consumer price index. Um, and so people are worried, right, that they, if they publish, they're going to lose access to talent. And in often cases, organizations are looking to recruit and uh, they have an opening, but they're trying to find people and they'll, they'll be willing to match the position or, you know, redefine what they're recruiting for based on the person. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right, I think. But a lot of it in the end of the day is, is um, you know, there are some standards here. People looking for a job should expect uh, the person hiring to to share what the the target price range is, or, you know range is. I, I, this is probably the thing that bothers me most is, is this notion that we're asking people you know to come in and say what do you want to be paid, um, and the first step should be the the hiring person to say hey this is the the range we were thinking about let's talk right there's it's that simple like let's let's make it socially the standard that if you're hiring you should say this is what I'm willing to to pay a a baseline under common understanding. So everyone's on the same playing field. Right. And, and so many, how many organizations spin their wheels, wasting so much time uh, recruiting people. And then they get to the offer point and the person laughs at them. They're like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come for that. Like it, it goes both ways. Like it's good both ways to be more open about that. Absolutely. Because it's then you're, you're, you're attracting the people that will actually work for you for that pay. <laughs> and instead well, it, of, you know, getting, getting people who may have expectations that are far beyond. And, and some people will say, well, what, you know, that's why we asked the question about what's your pay expectation. I hate that question. I, I, like you said, I think it should just be the standard that we just are transparent out of the gate. This is what the position's going to pay. Are you interested uh, rather than trying to squeeze the the employee or the potential employee and try to see how much you can get away with, you know, how it's little bad, you can get away with. Way to start the relationship. Now, yeah. I will say that, uh, you know, one of the aspects of, of our software that we offer is, is, um, is a recruiting tool where we take the things that we give to ma- measure in the compensation process, things like market position, range position, compa ratios, those, those kinds of data points. 
And we actually have a, a pre-hire tool that the compensation team can share with the recruiting team because it is a challenge. The recruiting team is measured on how, how can I bring in talent? I've got to meet the needs of these hiring managers. And there's always some tension because the compensation person says, if we bring this individual in too high, it's going to blow internal equity. You know, they're going to, we're going to have some serious challenges. Uh, so I think all of this is definitely addressed by integrating and sharing the relevant data points. Um, and, you know, we're still stuck with a problem in comp that, that a lot of organizations are using spreadsheets uh, to, to do this. And, and if you think about, I, my biggest passion in comp is that it should be personal, right? If, you're, if your strategy for compensation is that our budget is 3% and everybody's going to get 3%, then, you know, that's a tough policy. You really have to look at, at an individual basis. What is this person's contributions? Where are they relative to the market? Where are they relative to their peers? Um, you know, and, and how much should you provide for a base pay versus some short, shorter term incentive like bonus versus some longer term incentive, uh, whether that be cash, longer term cash incentives or stock. And very few organizations have the wherewithal to do it. And, uh, and it really requires a, a more modern approach to integrating all of these different data points and then uh, sharing them with people so that when they're making their decisions, they're based on data. And that alone will go a long way toward DEI. You know, and and one of the things we also offer in our tool is a a way to kind of measure some at least the the averages by uh, ethnicity or gender throughout the process. I think one of the biggest challenges with DEI from a comp perspective is that kind of the state of the art right now is to complete your whole compensation review and then do a, a pay equity audit on it. Um, find out where there's disparate impacts and maybe in the last three days of the cycle go undo decisions that may have already been made. And that that may solve the, the problem with disparate impact, but think about what that does for the organization. We went through this process allocated based on what we think is fair, and now you're coming in and tweaking this person down or that person uh, up. And a lot of people who don't really understand systemic bias and unconscious bias end up feeling like it's unfair and and you've actually taken your DEI efforts backwards, whereas you actually have to share some of the information sooner and throughout the process so that people can can look at that and say, huh, that is unusual that out of, you know, 150 (laughs) people in this position, uh, you know, the women are consistently being paid 7% less, you know, let's take a look at that on our own because some of it may make sense. Some of it, you know, maybe uh, in a given population, some people have more experience or something like that. But at some point, you know, I deal with a lot of technical people and always have, you know, engineers look at it and, and uh, they buy into DEI when they, they get exposed to data, you know, and I think that it's the key. You, you have to have processes that integrate all this data and then make sure that it, you share it. You don't hold it so tight to the vest. Um, and, and, and that'll, that'll help everybody, right? It's about yeah. the H back in HR, the humans, right? Exactly. And you, you said this a couple of times and I generally agree. I, I think most leaders, most organizations are trying in good faith to do right by their people. It's not some grand conspiracy. They're not trying to figure out how to cheat their people. Um, but 
when you hold things close to the vest, you may feel like you have good reasons for that. Um, but when you do that, regardless of what the other reasons are, one of the outcomes, and it may be an un, unintended outcome, but one of the outcomes is that your people are going to f- have less trust in what you're doing. <laughs> and so just being a little bit more open with the data, being more transparent will go a, a really, really long way in rebuilding and engendering that trust in leadership in the organization that can then, you know, springboard you into other positive developments in D- your DE&I efforts, but it's just like pay when people, I, I mentioned earlier, it's a satisfactor if pay, if, if people perceive that pay is not being done equitably, it will demotivate them. Uh, and we need to recognize that not, not just at the individual level, but at the organizational level, uh, it has nothing to do with reality. It's all about perception. And so regardless of all the efforts the organization may be doing and all the best intentions that may, that they may have, uh, if it's not being well communicated and it's not transparent, people are going to feel and they're going to perceive that there are inequities and that will undermine trust and that will undermine other aspects of the organization's ability to bring value to the market. And so, so we just need to, to double our efforts around the transparency piece, around pay equity, um, to create a strong foundation for all the other really great things that we also need to be doing. And we often talk in DE&I about all the other things, but if you're not starting with the baseline of just pay equity, honestly, you're never really going to get to those other things. Um, so let's start there. Let's create that foundation. I, you know, I agree. And I, I think for specific actions for your audience, you know, I think if people are using spreadsheets in the process, uh, they're, they're tying a millstone around their neck and they will sink, uh, you know, there are, there are good platforms out that are specifically designed for this. I think ours is one of them, but you know, the reality is you have to start using modern processes, integrating all the data uh, and providing it in, in a fashion that allows people to make good objective decisions. Um, And so there's a technology underpinning to this, but ultimately it's about policy and philosophy. Uh, You know, and, and I think, you know, I, I think we're on the cusp of it. People are going to be mandated to do it. Uh, both the generational change to younger millennials and Gen Z now becoming the bulk of the workforce. You know, we, we're kind of through the great resignation, but there's still a lot of dynamism in the market. And then, you know, global inflation is, is going to make it even all harder. So people are going to need better tools. If they were not well equipped going into the pandemic, uh, they're certainly even more poorly equipped coming out of it. So people should make investments of time and effort into this area. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, boy, it has been a pleasure. I know at the time I need to let you go, but before we close today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Great. Well, if people want to reach out to me, I'm on LinkedIn. I think there's not too many Boyd Davises. I think I'm Boyd Davis one. Uh, Feel free to email me. Uh, My email is boyd.davis at unit4.com. Unit4 is a wonderful organization. They recently acquired our our company and uh, it's been a wonderful process. They're a very human organization. Uh, And go, if you're interested in looking at tools to to manage this process, go to unit4.com slash compensation. Uh, and, and you'll get a sense of what kind of offers we have to help make, uh, make everything that we just talked about a lot easier. It won't solve it for you, but it'll make it a lot easier. And thanks, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you, Boyd. It has been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what 
Boyd and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for your individuals, teams, and organizations. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.